Hey everyone, it's Michael with a few small notes. One, a spoiler warning for the entirety of Legend of Korra Book 3, please go watch it. And two, during our discussion we discuss themes of mass incarceration, prison, loss of bodily autonomy, and various systems of violence. If you're not in a place to hear that, then maybe pass on this episode as that is the bulk of the discussion. And three, in lieu of the attempted murder on Jacob Blake, we feel it's all the more important to reiterate, Black Lives Matter. Thank you very much, and on with the episode. Hey, Celine. Hey, nerds. It's good to be back. Um, I have a real-world question for you guys. Out of all the political leaders right now, which one do you think is the closest to the Avatar? Wow. Hitting us with that. Keanu Reeves? Real world application. Let's go. <laughs> I know. I'm just. I'm. It, it's more so. I. Well, the best part about this, listeners, if you don't know, Celine posed this question just before we even got started, and I was like, "Wow, that's really interesting. I should think about that." And I'm already drawing a blank again because my biggest answer was probably going to just be, "It's like the Avatar essentially is like a UN, like a, the UN instilled in a person, right? Yeah. Like of like you're supposed to be this person that's all universal that belongs to all." is like part of this like kind of council but you're also like the avatar is still part you know like the avatar is still is of one nation you know like they are still Mm -hmm. from somewhere Mm -hmm. but like that's part of the whole reincarnation process but i think that's the best answer i got for as of right now uh what about you joe um i think it's easy to like assume like the u.s presidency but the problem is it's so messy right now (laughs) <laughs> so damn messy it's not a beacon of hope or change right now no was it ever though good point some would argue in the kennedy era i know that um it really depends uh depends on who you ask mm-hmm. but if we were to go like current like current political leaders who would like map on to like an avatar role i don't know maybe angela merkel uh... <laughs> oh yeah she's hip. she's hip yeah but like if i were to like map it onto like an individual person i guess that would be my answer but i think michael's is more correct (laughs) i think the avatar definitely embodies a un type role yeah um and and even so to like go to your point like the un security council is of specific nations Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when you think about it like that yeah what do you think celine you're the one who asked this question yeah i'm like 100 percent with michael um but i i'm a little bit more narrow in my answer in the sense that like the un has a secretary general so I'd say oh. that the Secretary General of the UN, like the head honcho, the figurehead, he's the guy. Yeah. I've had someone tell me that they thought Michelle Obama was the avatar. I see it, but I don't see it at the same time. I think they were more touching on the idea that she has such charisma and a lot of soft power. But yeah, Muscular no, that's, arms? Yeah, muscular arms. Damn, she's got those core arms. Or does yeah. Cora have Michelle Obama arms? Because this was like in 2012, so it's like you don't know where she's. You don't know where we're getting inf- um, inspiration from. We are mid Obama administration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it's been so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think the reason why I asked this question is because like season three gets more into the blurred line between the political and the spiritual role of the avatar mm-hmm. if i could ask a follow-up question do you think ang was ever explicitly political like i don't know it's the atlas kind of a blur to me right now but was ang ever specifically i feel like it's hard to say because in the world of avatar the last airbender they're living under the fascist regime basically like they don't have a modern style of government they have this very evil mustache twirling uh they are the oppressor they are the empire with a capital e type thing versus cora mm-hmm. is trying to depict a nuanced and complicated uh system of government and that's why i guess like that's why i think i even think the un is fitting for cora too in that like you know the un is supposed to have a lot of like it's, it's it stands for more power than it actually has right yeah. like it's it's it is a big show of 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 unity but it doesn't always it is it has not stopped people from being you know it hasn't stopped trump you know it is it hasn't stopped it uh, hasn't stopped leaders. human rights violations yeah. 
it, it what does it actually do and i think that that's kind of where cora is at in this season where it's like she's clashing with actual like kind of like government leaders uh despite mm-hmm. her being this you know despite her supposed to being this uh person of unity mm-hmm. and i think this is a good point to say welcome to pop the culture podcast <laughs> uh, we're talking if you couldn't tell we have celine Calpo back as our guest Ooh. um the lovely wonderful celine Capo, and we're talking season three of the legend of Korra. um and we're specifically focusing on episode two mm-hmm. of season three so uh celine why did you pick this episode for us i thought it would be a really interesting episode to kind of analyze because of the political nature of this episode because she goes on a diplomatic mission because this is the episode like right after president Raiko's like like she kind of feels like she doesn't have like a place in like republic city's democracy yeah and they banish her yeah they banish her (laughs) and she's like you know what i'm gonna do some diplomatic globalist mission like i'm going to help like Tenzin discover the people in the airbender diaspora and it doesn't go as smoothly as she planned um and so i just thought the political realm was really interesting to explore just you know being me um Mm -hmm. i also thought i also thought that this episode with the emergence and the introduction of like the red lotus was a good way to talk about radical political philosophies, political imagination, and just the idea of incarceration as like a motif in Legend of Korra. So yeah, uh, I guess, you know, I guess like first thoughts on the episode, there's a lot because we have a lot, there's a lot of ground I love, like, because season three is like kind of the one that gets a lot of praise from a lot of people and that like, maybe it's just because season two was generally seen as the low point that, like, this season three was, like, a fucking banger to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess, like, you know, like, general thoughts, feelings going forth into this kind of things. I think it's, I think it's, I, I love it for so many reasons. And I struggle to articulate them all here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, just first thoughts. Um, I think season three just, it nails the villains. Yes. Um, it, and, and it nails not just, like, how much of a threat they really are to Korra, um, but that is placed through or set up through their wants and desires, mm-hmm. their goals and their mission, and what Korra's current goal and mission is. Like you said, Celine, like this is about Korra doing international diplomacy. Yeah. And like her goals of like like you know, somewhat nation building mm-hmm. with with the the air the air nomads and trying to like revive this culture. And what that's contrasted with Zaheer and his goals of anarchy <laughs> yeah, um, and political revolution. As she is quite literally trying to like bring up the past. Yeah. yeah. And in the previous season, as we talked about in season two, she does the radical notion of, in, you know, bringing the spiritual world into the, the human world, which seems like a step in the good, in the right direction. But because she's our fallible hero, she's doing this. Mm-hmm. With with Tenzin and the Air Nomads, mm-hmm. and like we even see like some conflict with that within this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Celine, what did you think of the recruiting of Air Nomads? Um, I thought that was really interesting because. So one of the things that I hate about Legend of Korra is that they don't give that much interiority to the non-benders, and so when you get Tenzin, Korra, and the gang visiting some of the non-benders. There's a specific scene where they go see, like, a farmer and his family, Mm -hmm. and there's just, like, this really heated debate about whether or not, like, Tenzin has the right to just, like, yank this farmer from his family. And he's just like, well, I can't, like, yeah, I can airbend, but, like, I'm not culturally an airbender. And he kind of he kind of says it with like a nastiness, like I'm not a nomad. Um, and so that really, that was really interesting. Um, because in Avatar The Last Airbender, I remember there are these more like democratic moments. And when I say democratic, I mean like the Walt Whitman type of democracy. I mean like actual compassion and human interaction. Um, cause you yeah. know, team, 
Team Avatar under Aang, they encountered these people who were being plagued by spirits, um, the cabbage guy. <laughs> like, there was just mm-hmm. some compassion <laughs> to it. But everything is just so focalized on, like, the benders and their goals. And it, again, to draw upon, like, the UN and um, criticism of the UN, a lot of people think it's just, like, a neo-colonialist structure. Because, like, if you think of the Security Council, you could kind of think of them as benders, like, oppressors, because it's, like, France and, like, England and all this stuff. You can kind of see why um, people affected by harmonic convergence and, like, even in, like, the age of Amman, when some of them were just, like, regular non-benders, like, why they had yeah. some pent-up frustration, um, you're kind of seeing the true colors of benders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's even there's even that little bit of, like, parallelism of, like, them trying, trying to create an institution of airbending and airbending culture while Zaheer's whole thing is he's trying to tear down all the institutions and like very much succeeds in doing so over the course of the series as yeah. like our failing ones kind of are struggling to uh, uh, fittingly uh, lift off the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I even think it's it's so perfect that they're in a they're in an airship, right? They they can't fly anywhere because air they need a they need a ship to take them because this culture doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, right? they have yeah. to take a, uh, a a symbol of industrialism. And of like kind of modernity rather than this age old uh, thing, which would be uh, kind of the airbending as we know it, so to say. Mm-hmm. Can I also just say another interaction that I loved while Cora was trying to um, trying to get more people to the air temple was like her little tough love moment. I just love how she just, <laughs> she just gives like this is like a respect symbol in like the. Fuck. I I don't know what my words are. Um she like does this little um palm and like fist touch and it's just so fucking cute. Like I die of <laughs> But anyways, um she's like tough love and then they go to like Ryu's house and I'm just mm-hmm. like the way she like tackles Ryu and like deals with him, it's like me trying to get nihilist to vote. Like yeah. yep. um trying to get people to fucking care on like a globalist like perspective, which is something I think we as like Americans can relate to because it's just like now that there's a line blurred between politics and like the spirit world and like all these institutions are proving to be corrupt and kind of like deteriorating, you get the ultimate question of like to whom do you owe a responsibility to? And are you really obligated to do your part? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how that kind of like unfolds over the course of the series. They eventually do have a small um, air nation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they've established. And, you know, over the course of the episode, it's about who the, the question then becomes not if people should, but who should mm-hmm. join this nation. Yeah. Um, when we get uh, our our boy named Kai, who happens to be voiced by the same actor as Aang, it's really funny to see this dark version of Aang. Um, <laughs> Sweet boy Kai! Oh my gosh, love him. Yeah, yeah. So so Kai is like this little, uh, you know, his his parents kind of abandoned him, uh, mm-hmm. kind of left, and he um uh, he becomes a thief, and uh, the authorities are after him. Mm-hmm. What's a really interesting exchange between Tenzin and Korra, uh, and and I'll include Bolin on this as well, um, when when they try to bring, when when the authorities are like, well, what are we going to, or like, well, we're going to put this kid in prison, and we're like, wait, what, you're going to jail a kid? <laughs> um, that seems kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we shouldn't imprison children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> And, and that's and that's what Cora's side takes. And what's funny is like Tenzin's like, I don't want this kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kid seems like a dirty just, bag. And wow. you're like, what the fuck, Tenzin? What's so like, ooh, that purity? Tenzin, though? this is not a very Aaron Na- Nation thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we also just? I just love bringing up this like Mako and Bolin debate because it's just, uh it it gives me life. Can we just talk about how, like, Mako was, like, totally for incarcerating, like, Kai? Like, he yeah. was the one who... Yeah. It's well, just, like, Mako, you're a cop. And, like, Bolin's just, like, <laughs> big brother, big sister mode. 
So, mm-hmm. again, Mako slander, hella welcome. In this house, we hate Mako. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yes. like, he's just, you know, fucking cop Mako is just like, oh, you know, I know you, I know your game. And it's like, motherfucker, then you should understand that this kid is like, yeah. for larger reasons, because, like, you know, because there's no sense of, like, uh, security for, for, for orphans on the street. Why is mm-hmm. your takeaway then... You know he's doing something wrong. I do think, yeah. that, and like, admittedly, you know, to to to, I would say it's more of like a criticism of the show rather than uh, the criticism of like select characters. Mm-hmm. That all of them are collectively like, oh, you know, this little kid, this little kid who stole some money. <laughs> like that's all he did. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like all of them. I think you know, in, in this interaction, Cora and Bolin seem to be the most receptive to him. Mm-hmm. That's true. I guess, like, but without Korra being, like, the one to kind of, like, turn the other cheek, like, Tenzin has his moment, Mako like, continues to have his moment, and it's just, it just feels like a weird, like, beat that needs to happen that I wish, like, I wish the show would emphasize more. We have a mini family here, or we have, like, a struggling institution right now that is, like, trying to guide people in better directions, Mm-hmm. And I wish there was a slightly more stronger connection made than I think all Tenzin just says, like, oh, we might as well take him because he's the only one here kind of thing. Yeah. I also feel like this this scene was just, it was pushed to the end of the episode. And I kind of wish they talked about, like, the theme of justice a little bit more in Legend of Korra and, like, how Korra defines justice. I don't know if you, like, saw any of, or kind of saw inklings of that in any of the seasons. But, like, I just thought it was really interesting, like, the computation that they had to go through, um, saying, like, you got you got what you wanted, let him go. There's no need for this excessive incarceration. Um, yeah. So that was what interested me, and that's kind of what inspired me to think about, what if everything was just a fucking prison in the show? Like, <laughs> um <laughs> we kind of get that and that's kind of what we get with Zaheer's like you know we have all these people thrown into the like the the ultimate uh extreme of what they aren't right you know mm-hmm. we have the earthbender who's stuck in the middle of the ocean on a wooden ship we have the waterbender who's stuck in like a volcano kind of thing mm-hmm. like we we are people they're incarcerating people by putting them where they least belong yeah and it reinforces the goal that prison is not meant to change you in any way. Like, I didn't see, like, wasn't there, like, a scene in, like, a truck with Mako and Bolin and their dumbassery? And they just start talking to, like, Minghua and Gazan about, like, oh, what did you do in prison? Arts and crafts? And it's just, like, that's fucking tone deaf, Bolin. Like, <laughs> maybe that's one thing I won't, like, excuse you. Um, But it's, like, yeah, there's no... No indication of rehabilitation. It's just meant to de- decapacitate you, um, make you feel lesser than your absolute human potential. And I think just like the fact that they all escaped, especially Zaheer, is a testament to like even in cartoon shows, prison is absolutely ineffective because they did bodily mm-hmm. damage. Like Zaheer went out looking fucking raggedy as heck um but they didn't (laughs) break his spirit he was radicalized even more like his like beloved guru lahima like he meditated he obsessed over this person and that Mm -hmm. is the result of being incarcerated on top of a fucking like hill yeah and like how fitting is it that it's like because like what he is even more than an airbender is he's a he's a spiritual leader right he's a mm-hmm. he's he's got he's got the tongue and so he's literally stuck on a mountaintop you know uh, separated from everyone where even like his meals are being transported to him by like one person a week right yeah it's like very good at at, at being symbolic and once again, I don't know if the if the creators after know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. but it 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 does feel very pointed in a way in which they thought about like what sounds like everyone's personal hell it's Mm -hmm. it's like this specific iconography yeah another thing because you said that that was you said zaheer had the tongue did Mm -hmm. you guys like notice his voice what do you mean i thought his voice was very 
cold and like sterile. Like, okay, <laughs> forgive me. I'm yeah. gonna try to do like um, an impression, but he'd be like, Guru Lahima said this. Guru Lahima <laughs> said that. I do not believe in nations. These terrible monarchs. Like, it's like he's constantly on a megaphone. That and he's trying. They're okay. So you know how like some people try to debate that like an intellectual tone is an impartial tone because it's like for example like facts equal yeah, like the yeah, norm. Yeah. He has this like intellectual inflection that I notice in like a lot of people. Like for example, Tavi Jevonson has this inflection like when she reads, and it it kind of irritates me. Sorry, Tavi, but like. They just do that to sound kind of smarter and charismatic and just, which is something that yeah. he needs to have in order to be like a leader. He needs to also be um, kind of like an impartial kind of voice um, so that people don't see like the underlying chaos. But I just wanted to like point that out because like every time he talks about Guru Lahima, like I just think of that. And I also just think like if they ever met in like the spirit world, he'd just like burst and like remove this kind of like tone of voice and just break out into wind beneath my wings. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like a rhetoric guy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he pulls from these different examples. You know, he, he, <laughs> Zaheer eviscerates people with facts and logic, you know, mm-hmm. and he, oh God, <laughs> exactly. And the, he, he literally, it li- he literally is he who must not be named. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a certain sense of like, I mean, I guess like to, I guess to Zaheer's credit, I fuck him, but like mm-hmm. to Zaheer's credit, he is pushing for institutional destruction, but I think like, yeah, he does by attaching himself to like an ideology in this case, being uh, the guru, like, he basically gives more credit to his words kind of thing. Mm -hmm. In this almost, like, Mm -hmm. false modesty sense of way of being like, oh, I didn't say it, he said it, you know, know, not Mm -hmm. me. I'm just, I'm just preaching the good word, right? You know, it, it's like how people will quote Marx to this day. It's how people will quote, they'll, like, they'll pull, you know, like, you know, like, founding father quotes out of their ass. They'll quote leaders and other figureheads as a way to kind of assist the points they're making. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that like Zahir's type of um, rhetoric is somewhat? Um, do you think it can be reflected within Cora's conversation with Ryu, her goofy ass like conversation with oh, Ryu? Oh my god! Where Ryu, yeah. where Ryu yeah. is like incredibly nihilistic and is like, "Well, you don't have to do anything. You're the Avatar. You don't have to do anything, though. You don't have to be the Avatar." Yeah. He's like, "No, you don't." Um, Bruh, yeah. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think Zaheer kind of, like, preys upon people like Ryu? <laughs> or no? I'm gonna be honest. The reason mm-hmm. why I just loved watching that scene with Ryu is because he reminds me of, like, my nihilistic cousin. Mm-hmm. Even down to, like, the mom. His mom. Like, I was just mm-hmm. like, that's my auntie. That's my auntie right there. Trying to inspire her son who just doesn't want to vote, doesn't want to do anything, and just is like, what's the point? So this this particular family member, I feel like if he was just inspired by the right person, kind of like Zaheer, like, he'd definitely be an anarchist. And yeah. so, like... I'm kind of, like, could you imagine Ryu as an anarchist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, especially with that like yellow tinted hair that he has, like that ombre mm-hmm. he has later on the season. I would have loved to see that. Um, I kind of would have yeah. loved to see it like a plot line where like they're fighting over Ryu and he's just like persuade <laughs> me. It's once again doing that parallelism between the hero and the villain, like. Cora has no way with her words, right? She's so, you know, brunt force that she has no ability to kind of like to persuade people to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to not to use a gaming terminology, but she put no points in persuasion, you know? <laughs> Zaheer is all, before he got his airbending, he was all persuasion. You know, he was all one with his words in contrast mm-hmm. to Cora, who's who's definitely more of an actions type of person. And I, I think that's just good, like foil, like creating foils for the, for your hero and villain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in some ways, it makes people charmed by Sahir, which is like his whole 
thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. What do you What do you think, Joe? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think Zahir would would smooth talk his way over over Ryu into caring about something that you know Zahir pretends to have a lot of um, ethos in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zaheer, Zaheer, like, you know, charmed me during the season when I watched it when I was younger. I was like, oh, damn, like, this seems like a really fun villain. Like, this is like, not not to make like the super bro comparison, but like when bros are just like, man, the Joker makes a lot of sense of the Dark Knight. Um, <laughs> like, it's like that. It's that kind of it's that kind of uh, methodology and that kind of rhetoric that um, just is is charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like that—that's like that's led to like more credence later in the series when he gains the ability to fly. Yeah. You so that it's like leaves the audience in question, like maybe he is right. Fuck. And that's just some fun storytelling. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, he—he's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he's like specifically like he—he he throws a lot of people in jail despite being a person who advocates for freedom and incarcer and against mm-hmm. incarceration. Like he incarcerates Mako and Berlin later in the series. He chains up Korra. Like mm-hmm. he, he is clearly, and I think that that is almost indicative of the thing that he is. They call themselves the Red Lotus rather than the White Lotus kind of yeah. thing. And it's like showing that like even though you're this ideology that is supposed to be the direct opposite of kind of like institutions. You are inherently an institution and you're still basically because like you're I think Selena, I think you mentioned it again, like kind of like political imagination that like you still can't see beyond the power structures that created your own ideology. And so that's why he continues to to replicate that. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, just to go off on that. Um, this is it. where Zahir gets so messy. So I'm going to try to bring in two points, but the first point is going to be more um, directed to what you just said. So this is where I get into like constitutional law and like nation building theories. But there's there's this idea in comparative constitutional politics called like legal borrowing or like constitutional borrowing. Um, And basically what it tries to encapsulate is the idea that no power structure is really original all these power structures are derivatives and kind of like a mishmash of the power structures that either colonized them or like inspired them. So, mm-hmm. and this is something that can be related to like this idea of prisons. Like we were talking about how um, Mingwa was in a fucking volcano. Well, where the fuck did the White Lotus get that idea of the goddamn volcano? The mm-hmm. Fire Nation. Jesus yeah. Christ, that wasn't original. Sorry, like mm-hmm. it looked really cool and it looked updated, but that's a Fire Nation idea, honey. Um, mm-hmm. And so Zahir, Zahir is kind of like stunted in his own like political theory because yeah. if you had like ultimate freedom, what when you close your eyes in ultimate freedom, what can you think of? You know, like what do you see? And, like, this is a problem in, like, our politics, American politics. Like, we're too, we're too hesitant to think beyond what we have. And (laughs) it's one of those, like, you accept the love you think you deserve. Like, why do we think that we can just stay with these shitty shitty institutions? But, you know what, I'm on the cusp of, like, almost sounding like an anarchist. (laughs) Um, But there's that. I mean, it's very timely, right? Because in the wake of all this kind of like uh, the BLM defund the police, it's like, well, if we defund the police, then who's going to, you know, mm-hmm. stop me? You know, who's going to stop, uh, you know, nameless mm-hmm. robber from breaking into my car? You know, mm-hmm. needless fact that like police were going to stop that anyway, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. They would just go up, show up, make and make a report like <laughs> they weren't going to stop that to begin with. Yeah. That's not that, like, once again, like, expand your imagination for what it means to have kind of like expand your definition of justice basically Mm -hmm. and another i think um example of zahir having an issue with his own philosophy and not actually practicing what he preaches is what he decides to do to cora like if you're if you're advocating for absolute freedom why do you think that death should be a penalty like that I had such a visceral reaction to 
that um that scene because they basically mm-hmm. do what your tr- what like our country with our like arcane death penalty system does they try to paralyze you they try to make your heart stop and like even fucking worse this is where i ran about the supreme court oh god um they try to make it seem like you have some spiritual solace in your last moments which is why like when zahir tried activating like the avatar state i was just like fuck you fuck you yeah fuck you Mm -hmm. um no like death is meant to kill that spirit like don't mm-hmm. cloud don't cloud it with this like don't cloud it with this like oh we're allowing you to be spiritual for one last time no death is supposed to kill the spirit i feel like that's brilliant right i just hate that scene so much and again kind of going back to what i said in episode 2 and i don't know if there when i watch the shit that happens to cora i can feel it in my body too and it makes mm-hmm. it so hard to watch this goddamn show <laughs> Yeah, it's it's once again we're getting back into loss of bodily autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's he. I mean, he's definitely evil, right? Mm-hmm. And he is he. I wonder if like this is kind of how he has to end too. In that, like, I I do believe that this this type of like you know because I don't ultimately believe in anarchist uh, ideology type thing. You know, I I do believe institutions can be a good thing as long as they're supporting people. How because like. If that, then so be it. But I think, like, in, in showing, like, his, like, failing mindset in that way and that he is, like, individually, he is he is wrong in that way. And, like, where this type of ideology fails down is it starts failing people that are not him. And, mm-hmm. like, people he is, like, could work with but doesn't. Mm-hmm. Which I think it, it makes it all the more fitting why he gets taken down by the group of, the, the institution of airbenders that are working to create an actual culture, trying to actually rebuild the civilization from what it was, rather than him who just uses the talking points to persuade people. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though I guess, Joe, like you said, like there is there is a point to be had with like the idea in that like he is so charming and that he is supposed to feel like he has a point. But much like superhero literature, whenever a villain has a point at the beginning of the story, they ultimately have to become like mustache twirly. You know what I mean? Like... To, 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 to let you know, okay, but, you know, she was revealed to eat babies. Oh, he got to stop the baby eater, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, like, you know, revealed to eat babies or, like, they just take their, their ideology to an extreme, to, like, an yeah. irrational extreme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Due to whatever circumstances that may be, and as Selene, you pointed out, it is imprisonment. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you think... Uh, outside of the scope of this episode too, do you think prisons play a bigger role? Like we have imprisonment of the body that we already talked about. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, um, I feel like with the white Lotus and just this idea of them controlling where Cora stays since like her birth, mm-hmm. she in a way is like a prisoner of heaven. And that has some like detriment to it. In my Asian philosophies class, um, someone brought up an interesting, an interesting point about, I think it's specifically in Hinduism. If anyone listening has more knowledge and recollection than I do, then like, feel free to correct me. But there's this idea that reincarnation and like in this, in this series, reincarnation would be like the avatar cycle, avatar state is in itself like, a prison um mm-hmm. and i was just thinking about how i don't know her tension with the avatar state can also indicate some type of like mental incarceration and her inability to forge her own path without having to draw upon people that others expect her to yeah mm-hmm. and then you also have the imprisonment of rava and like vatu like mm-hmm. Rava and a human, yes. Vatu in the tree. Mm-hmm. Just everything's a damn prison. I don't know if the show intended to be so anti uh anti incarceration, but it sure as hell is making a damn good point for it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think 
the writers in the series had this sentiment in the pre in Avatar: The Last Airbender. We could mm-hmm. go back to season one and talk about you know the people in prison, the Earthbenders imprisoned on that steel uh, floating cargo ship, right? Yeah. And then there's also the boiling rock as well. Like there's definitely some anti-prison and you know sentiment within those episodes. Yeah. I think it's definitely a theme these writers have thought about, but definitely hasn't been a main focus. Yeah. Until maybe this season. I feel like there's they're so good at foreshadowing things. Just the fact that Cora's element that she struggles with is the element of freedom. Like the moment when I rewatched it, I was just like, okay, well, shit. Like, what's the opposite of freedom? Imprisonment. Do you think there are some feminist themes there? Yeah. I mean, it relates to the bodily autonomy point that I, like, pointed out. But specifically for this episode and this season with, like, Zaheer, something that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about, like, charisma, it brings me back to my... Democrat, what was it? Autobiography in American Democracy class. Professor Nolan Bennett, he was the one who taught me. Um, we read like the autobiography of this female anarchist, like Emma Goldman. And like there was just like this one moment that we were discussing about like the, the charisma of one of her mentors who was male and she kind of becomes like disillusioned by it. And I just think that there are some moments specifically with Zaheer and his language when he's just like and also with um who the dark avatar guy her uncle um where they specifically tell her if you had been under my tutelage if you had made the choice to like like be with me and they kind of like guilt her and like shame yeah. her like that is a form of imprisonment because i think imprisonment yeah. has to do with a lot of guilt um yeah. and i think Female leaders, particularly, when it comes to enticing them with, like, radicalism, there's just a fine line to be walked between, like, being condescending and kind of giving them no choice by guilting them, or, like, actually letting them, like, feel things out and come to you naturally. So, that... And, we'll again, we'll never get to see, like, Cora's formative years from, like, when she was a little bib to, like... 17 so it's just like how much political imagination and like ideological development happened that wasn't within like a restrictive like prison like education system that was enforced by the white lotus and tenzin and like republic city yeah i i always think about this and i think about i think about this in relation to kind of what you talk about in season one where this is where I wish they that bending was once again they just took it a couple steps further with Korra in understanding what its relationship to the world as a whole is because so I do think that in some ways because one of the biggest criticisms of anarchist idea is that like uh, if it's taking away everything it's also taking away people's culture it's taking away their identity and that's mm-hmm. what he's doing to Korra and that he's stripping her of that and it's, so it's like preaching this also because I think that's kind of what Amon is like he's strip he's preaching for like a you know, he's like preaching for a like post post like, you know, post bigotry world where no one has any type of identity outside of just like being human. Like there's that type of like, I'm not racist because we're all human type thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's 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 it is wrong. And it is inherently like it's almost like a, like a racist standing point. Of just like, yeah, I'm going to also deprive you of what, identify, what you identify with type thing. Uh, that also, like, that's where it starts to mess up. And yeah, I, I guess, like, once again, like, I wonder if, like, we had, if they had pushed bending as, like, just, just, just as a concept. Just a little bit further if we could have gotten a slightly more cleaner version of, like, what's wrong. Like, what exactly Zaheer or Amon or even, like, you could say Unlock and uh, what's the season four? Kuvira. Like what their what their ideology like how it exact how it like how it specifically starts to fail in this world of Avatar. Yeah, you know what I mean. Could I just okay while we're talking about like Zaheer, can I just bring up again that like spirit world encounter between him and Korra? Um, of course. Yes. Yes. So that's where he lays out his ideology, and I thought that was so interesting. 
Um, and I also think, I don't know if this was the um, writer's intent, but I think it was good at showcasing a non-westernized like idea of Buddhism. Because when we think of... Yeah. Buddhism, we think of like Zen Buddhists, like people who meditate, people who are coy as fuck like Aang. Mm -hmm. But there is kind of, I don't want to call it a dark side because I don't want to antagonize it because it is absolutely fucking beautiful um, and it's liberating and it's fucking creative. And I kind of wish like Western culture had an equivalent. Um, but okay, what I'm getting at is when they go to Jai Bao's Grove, did you guys notice the color scheme? No. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Okay, so this is me being obsessed with color again. It's red as fuck. And I feel oh. like it's not just because it's the red lotus, because that is like that is like fifth grade analysis. Like if you have <laughs> if you have like a background in like Buddhist interpretation and like philosophy like the first thing that i think about and i'm not claiming to be like an expert but the first thing that i think about is the um fire sermon in buddhism mm -hmm. where it's just like the ear is burning or something like that the eye is burning and it it comes to this idea that with buddhism everything is dukkha everything is suffering and in order to make progress everything has to fucking change and so when like zahir's sitting under that tree like and everything seems to be like a flame that just gave me chills because it's just like this is this is another duality that they're uncovering with zahir and like the airbenders cuz we only got we only got the pure side in avatar the last airbender but now we're seeing the full it runs the whole entire ambit of airbending. And I also kind of like how they draw upon like the imagery of like Siddhartha Gautama and it's kind of it's kind of a way that they enhance his charisma because this yeah. as the story goes, like he went Siddhartha, not like Zahir, but in a way they had like similar experiences. Siddhartha had to go through like experiencing oppression and poverty in order to like go under that tree and seek like absolute liberation and enlightenment and it's just the red imagery just hits me again it's such a fucking severe and garish color and it's just like this is this is the buddha when he went through like asceticism and like is that the word asceticism um no sure yeah sure. Well, i don't i is, don't know off the top of my head but this get is you. The, basically this is zahir is the buddha that's not like fully fledged. He hasn't found the middle way yet. He's just taking like severe like measures to just fucking prove that there is injustice in this world. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I think also in the story, a little girl comes up to him and helps him see the middle way. And I see Cora as that because she tries to reason with him. Sorry, I'm going on a yeah. tangent, but like, no, you're good. They're, they're, conversation like again Cora doesn't have the type of like articulation um and like rhetoric to match the here so it's very hard for her to help him find like some type of commonality with him I don't yeah. know did that make sense who knows yeah but I was just like this fucking shit is red <laughs> I love this season so much yeah <laughs> I love it I love it so much it like Th this season almost feels completely in contrast to the previous one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in that, in that, like everything is like simplified. There isn't like this big, overarching, complicated like history with Korra's uncle and you know the past of the spirits. Not that I'm like complaining about like the spiritual element of season two, but like this is a completely different take on storytelling. Um, yeah. The complications are within the themes themselves mm -hmm. and the way those are explicitly expressed through these individual characters and their ideologies. Mm -hmm. It's so much more nuanced. And, and that being said, like the, I think the last thing I really want to, uh, I want us to touch upon in season three is like this concept of like nation building as they're trying to build yeah. the air nomads. Um, yeah. So we're going full circle within our episode. How do you guys feel about the development of the air nomads over the season? 
like, what do you think they did right? What do you think they did wrong in terms of like their approach on writing these characters, especially uh, Tenzin? Yeah, I think there is a certain level of understanding that like, because they're trying so hard to rebuild this culture from the ground up because it was, you know, it was essentially it was it was like lost to time and all the only remainder of it is Tenzin and his family. And oh boy, I didn't we didn't even get talk chance to talk about Aang in relation to that too. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there in season four. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that, like, you're struggling to get people to accept, you know, ways, you know, like, like basically the the ways things were, right? You know, he's struggling to kind of entice everyone into the their culture and their traditions and their belief system. And I think I think I believe it's Boomy in the later episodes. That says like you know this isn't working. Yeah. Like we we like things have to change in order for people like you know a newer culture to understand. Like we're never gonna have the old. We're never gonna have the old and airbending nomads because that's just it's just not gonna work that way. Mm-hmm. So we have to create something new, which I feel like is the the show having being in, it's hard in the right direction that like oh like you can't just the same way you can't just rip people from their lives and put them in your put them in your new world. You know you have to kind of meet people. Like where they're at, you know, whatever form that may take, kind of thing. It's preventing the 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 show from having a very conservative message, which I think I yeah. just like inherently, because it's not saying like, oh, you have to keep changing. And if anything, air is the most as the element of freedom. It should be the most open to change. Why are we being so rigid about it? You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you think? I mean, I concur with everything you just <laughs> said. Um, I just think it's absolutely beautiful that by the end of this season you just have like a ragtag team of airbenders that come from like eclectic backgrounds and different walks of life and they just form like this beautiful fucking hurricane ass thing um Mm -hmm. just that's the power of unity that's the power of like compassionate nation building yeah yeah what do you think i was concerned i was concerned about it especially in the context of this episode like the way it, when you think about the way in which nation building and advertising and advocating for nation building is represented in the series, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know, at first you get that quick uh, montage cut of Tenzin door knocking and being like, "Hey, you get a you know, you get to shave your head, uh, you get these cool robes, uh, mm-hmm. your best friend is a bison," um, and it's like really funny and humorous. But at the end of the day, like what they settle upon is. Um, Bolin's like 1920s like circus show like street sideshow of sorts mm-hmm. and it almost functions and this is where I get into my concerns it almost like teeters upon like propaganda yeah like you know national propaganda but because like Bolin's such a himbo it doesn't really go that way <laughs> no <laughs> um, but it could be it could like come across that way they're just trying to be like wow isn't airbending cool it's, you know, to go to, you know, to reference something in our previous episode, it's like when you're going your your Catholic um, Sunday yearly uh, barbecue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they have like a karate lesson there for some reason. And you're like <laughs> watching kids lesson. do karate. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is this very specific to the to the church barbecue that I would attend? <laughs> go, Please go on. I'm curious. But anyway, every every year we go to this church barbecue in our hometown and they would have like a karate demonstration. Um, and it's like, please join our karate dojo. It costs a hundred dollars a month. And you're like, but like they would like demonstrate kids like doing different, like really like interesting and cool, like athletic performances. And that's what this reminded me of. Um, not just because, you know, they're actually doing martial arts within the, the different elements, but, and especially within airbending, but it's like the idea of like performance, like, specifically to wow people in a means to like get some form of interest in culture yeah oh i see what you're saying yeah mm-hmm. i yeah. feel that on a spirit i was a, i feel that on a spiritual level <laughs> <laughs> from my perspective as like it's kind of like how sometimes you just want to as like a non-white person you just want to like peacock like really mainstream parts of your culture so that like mm-hmm. white people yeah. will finally give it value. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. We finally got a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I finally got like a, what is it? That like the little shorts they play um, before the movies. 
Disney movies. Yeah. I am yeah, literally fighting for like a grain of rice. <laughs> representation. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that like that's what's represented here in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they're trying to to advocate this mainstream part of their culture. It could it like, you know, it could teeter into nationalism. It could teeter into assimilation, you know, depending on how you read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. it's at the very end, like you already said, Celine, it does it does become something beautiful and unique. You know, like you already mentioned, Michael, it's only through the process of change and adaptation over time. Yeah. Can I raise a question to you, Joe? Sure. What is a nation? Like, what to you is a nation? Is it a culture? Oh, gosh. Is it common blood? Like, what do you think? And this goes back to the Zahir thing. Some people don't want to say race. Some people don't want to say culture because of, like, the problematic ends. But, like, what do you personally think? I'll also throw this to Michael as well. Um, are you referring to nation or nation state? Oh. Because I'm, like, instinctually, gut- gutturally going, like, nation state. Uh, um. Well, okay. <laughs> I feel like if we're going to talk about this in light of, like, the air nomads and the revival of air nomad culture, I don't think they had, like, a nation state per se because they didn't have like a real power structure so i guess like a nation just like the idea of like the abstract nation sure then i guess for me it is like the concept of a nation is like a unifying culture Mm -hmm. yeah and that culture like consists of like practices rituals social cues and, and social and like unique individual like unique social contracts Mm -hmm. which then breeds into um like social norms Mm -hmm. when tenzin is knocking on doors like he is he is giving the very quick pitch of like these are our social norms do you not do you like this do you not like this you should like this this is great i love this thing you know that's not what connects with people I, I, i don't i'm not sure that's not what the show is arguing for when Bolin like creates and everybody performs like the little like story that they do, it's not. It's also not like necessarily like a nation that they're advocating for, but like a general cultural ethos mm-hmm. and like aesthetic. It's still not complete, and it isn't complete until the very end when they're when all the people when all the air nomads are using like the skills that they have learned and passed on and practiced with each other for each other mm-hmm. i'm sorry that's such a long-winded answer oh no this is a question that's supposed to prompt long-winded answers yeah we don't believe in tangent okay i don't know what podcast you've been listening to these last 20 episodes Joe. we don't believe in tangents we don't believe in long-winded answers we don't believe in <laughs> stuttering like <laughs> we've never done any of those three things all at the same time <laughs> right on mm-hmm. thank you for validating me no, I so love you, bud. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna popcorn over to you. What do you think a nation is? It's funny because I think I think your answer is really good. And I was just thinking in a very clinical sense of like I think a nation is a almost I was thinking more of like a terrain based answer of just like it is a location for a group of people for a collective group of people to gather uh, under like a shared identity. Basically, that's how I was gonna define it. Uh, which is why I'm so curious to hear, uh, Celine, hear your answer and response. Oh, it's like, it's 1218 here. I still have energy <laughs> to go because I want to bring up my season one points, but I'm going to try to be short and sweet. So I'm not going to address the nation state thing because I have my podcast to do that. Um, but, <laughs> but I think just like the abstract idea of a nation is just a group of people who share a common spirit. Um, and that leads me to, it kind of reminds me of how when we think of America, mo- more so like people who are progressive and people who are liberal, they cling on to the aspirational parts of our founding documents and like our founding environment. Like the more perfect idea. Oh God, I'm going to drift into the fine territory between like propaganda and like i don't want to like brainwash people with this founding fathers bullshit but anyways um (laughs) like i just think it's very interesting 
that people cling on to that the most when they identify as American. Like people who are immigrants identify with that the most when they're defining themselves as American, as part of our nation. Um, whereas like people who are conservative are more focused on like the more nation state kind of structure. Damn, I yeah. said this was going to be short and sweet. No, yeah, I gave you're you my fine. I mean, okay, yeah, short and sweet structure, people who embrace the same type of spirit. Now I'm just thinking, do nations ever die? Because you cuz like sometimes the spirit evolves. And I don't think a nation ever dies. Crap. Okay. I'm finished. Honestly, when I when we were talking when I was gearing up to talk about this season, I was just being like, okay, what's interesting about anarchist ideas? But I wow, this season doesn't it suck that we only have an hour? Because I feel like we could keep going, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this season's good. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> I feel validated. <laughs> no, totally. And I do think that there's there's something to be said about, like, it is, you know, it's it's about a rebirth of a culture type of thing. You know, the, the Aaron Nomads have no real power, except through Tenzin's kind of position, seat on the... The Republic City Council, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah, it is interesting to see what they do with that. And of course, you know, they can only do so much because you know we got to have the power. We got to have basically the friendship, which you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've read as many foundational Marxist texts, but it actually says in Marx's letter to Lenin that uh, friendship power-ups are what communism is really about. <laughs> <laughs> as quoted from anime, Marx has said, "My favorite, my favorite anime, One Piece." says friendship power-ups <laughs> are what the uh the workers of the world you need right now uh, yeah fun fact uh Lennon came up with the lyrics to we are exactly um, <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry Sleeve. you brought it to such a high we, we, we brought it lowbrow we went from the highs of talking about cons- concepts of nations to the lows of making co- communism in one piece oh <laughs> uh, yes Welcome to Pop the Culture Podcast. God, we love... I... Wow. When you just add... Okay, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to go on a slight tangent here. Uh, Joe, I think you and I are a prime example of, like, friends who share one brain cell. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it just rotates between Only us. Only one. It, sometimes, sometimes we're really lucky when it rotates between us perfectly in between our episodes. Like, you know, while we're talking, it goes back and forth. Sometimes <laughs> we don't even know where it's at. <laughs> Celine, I feel like you've introduced like five brain cells. <laughs> Thanks. Oh no, this is this is this has been uh, amazing and wonderful, and yeah, Legend of Korra is good, y'all. It if, is. If you if you if you've gotten to this episode and have not watched it, please watch it. It's fucking fire. Can I just shout out? Netflix. Can I just call out my friend Jenica? Jenica, I know you're listening to this episode. Girl, you need to watch Cora before you listen to my analysis. Oh, you're going to be... <laughs> Jenica, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Wait, God, get on it. Get on it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on, though, Celine. This, is, this has been amazing. You have so many wonderful things to say. And I hope, I hope you know that. I, I, we, I'm sure we love your insight onto Cora. Uh, we love mm-hmm. we, in that like no, I mean truly like Cora is a story and it's novel in that like it was a story about uh, a brown uh, brown young woman and it's so perfect that we can talk about this with a, a brown woman on the podcast. Hey, representation, huh? I'm qualified, y'all. Yeah, I'm qualified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. thank you for having me. Um, and if I could, like, provide, like, closing remarks, because I know I'm not going to be here for season four, because that's, like, I'm going to be sandwiched between, like, conversations between yeah. you two. Season four, I think the lesson I took away from, and I would like your listeners to kind of think about, is the idea that life is due when you're gone, but that doesn't mean that you'll never catch up to it, and there won't be people willing to wait for you. That's all I have to say. Oh my god. I'm so happy you're on our podcast. I know. You got... Celine, you got chunky brain. You got Mm. chunky brain. I don't know. Thank you for coming on. No problem. (laughs) Honestly, if you ever need, like, an extra voice, I'm here. Of course. We'd love to have you back anytime. Yes. Yeah. 
Right. But all right. Uh, thank you all for very much for listening. Uh, we will, you know, we'll be wrapping up our coverage of Legend of Korra next week with a episode about book four, which we will let you know which uh, episode we're doing then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Okay. Love Bye. you, nerds. Bye. Bye. <laughs>